back on air. Many thanks for tuning in to the latest episode of Once Upon a Time in the Ashes, our countdown of the cricketers who graced the Ashes stage on but one solitary occasion. The 1950s, 60s and 70s have flashed before our eyes, quicker than Ian Chappell's rapier wit, and we're now firmly ensconced in the 1980s, shoulder pads now part of our cricketing attire. We last met at the fag end, or I guess that should be the cigar end, of Botham's Ashes in 1981, where we were thrilled to be in the company of Mr Paul Parker and more than happy to rubber stamp his pass into our exclusive club. Our radar is now homing in on the 1985 series in England. Alan Border skippered a tour inside for the first time in the Ashes, and David Gower, off the back of captain in the side to a superb series win in India, was the man entrusted with winning back the urn for England. 85, which was my great year, AB had a few problems in that dressing room. There were issues in that room that did us some favours, to be honest, probably. Uh, it wasn't the most united Australian team of all time, but again, it's still an Australian team, and there's some even sort of the youngsters like Craig McDermott, might have been playing his first mm-hmm. series, but went on to become a very serious test cricketer, so you don't sort of belittle their efforts. And you had Tomo there, albeit at the end of his career, not in his pomp. That, for me, was a very satisfying year, the most satisfying year of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> runs and captaincy and all the rest of it, also eventually ticking all the right boxes. AB, during that series, got a lot of runs, basically won the game for them at Lord's, and we would, you know, we would chat. You know, on the field, there'd be, you know, the sledging was mild and more sort of quips than sort of full-on sledging. Um, we'd chat at the end of the day, have a beer, all that sort of stuff. Four years later, when he came back again, I was given the captaincy back. The best I got out of him for four months was heads or tails at the toss. For the record, David Gower led England to a 3-1 series win. Alan Border scored 597 runs at 66, including two centuries. But again, he was trumped by Gower, who scored 732 runs at 81 with 300s. And from our perspective on this humble podcast, this 1985 series is our most fruitful one yet, yielding four cricketers who played their one Ashes test during that mid-80s summer. Murray Bennett and Dave Gilbert on the Australian side, and Jonathan Agnew and Arnie Sidebottom for England. And it is the latter who we will devote our attention to today, Arnie Sidebottom of Yorkshire, England and Manchester United. Of course, he's not the only member of the family who can wear his England cap with pride. His son Ryan followed him into the Yorkshire side and went on to play in 22 tests for his country. What was it like growing up with such a successful all-round sportsman as a father? As a young lad, you kind of know what your dad's doing. You know, I knew that he played football and some of the kids at school and the teachers would say, oh, your dad's playing for Man United or he's playing for Yorkshire. And I knew little bits about my dad's career. And then, you know, I used to go to Headingley and kind of watch, but I'd play all ball games around the back of the stand with all the other kids. I, I suppose... Maybe in my teens, that's when I started to realise what my dad had achieved. And immensely proud of that fact. He's one of very few that has played football and, and cricket at the highest level. He's actually a very, very humble man. He doesn't say very much. He, he's quite quiet. You know, he doesn't actually talk very much about his career. 
but I've got all these cuttings and you know of his achievements and photos of his Man United days when there was you know your Bobby Charlton's and Dennis Laws and George Best. And it sounds like the only downside to having a successful sporting dad are the occasional moments of mistaken identity. On the funny side of that, I still, you know what, to this day, I still get called Bloody Arnie. George Sharp, the, the umpire, he, he lives in my village and, and he, he's always called me Arnie. I don't take offence to that because my dad was a very popular cricketer around Yorkshire and people respected him for, I suppose, for his wholeheartedness and his, his never-give-up attitude. Should Arnie have played more test matches for England? Whether it's one test or 100 tests, you know, he's represented his country and, you know, a lot of people said my father should have probably played a few more test matches, but at the end of the day, he's very philosophical and, and that's life. And what about Ryan himself? He took 79 wickets at 28 for England in test matches, including a memorable hat-trick against New Zealand. More of that later. Were his 22 tests about right? Or could he have played more test matches for England? You, you don't blow your own trumpet, but I probably should have played a little bit more test cricket with my, my record. But it's weird how it, how it works. You know, you, I left Yorkshire and, and went to Nottinghamshire, then played test cricket, and, and then you play a second test match game at Headingley, where we brought up. I go back to Headingley and then win the championship with Yorkshire at, at Tenbridge, where I played. So it's, I suppose, yeah, it's just... That's the beauty of sport, isn't it? You know, you have those miracle, those dream days. And, and we are very proud of our family history. Of course I am, but we, we both are very humble. I've never, I'm never really one for talking about myself. And a lot of the trophies I have, I, I don't really have them up at home. You know, it was only my wife who said, you need to put them up, you need to put them up. I'm, you know, I'm the same. I'm like, I'm really not that bothered. You know, I, I'm not... You know, my career is my career. I've had a lovely time. I've met so many wonderful people. But it's finished now. And, and of course, I have lots of fond memories, but it is what it is. One thing missing from Ryan's CV is a test match against Australia. He was called up for the fourth test in 2009 at his home ground of Headingley. But Steve Harmison was chosen ahead of him. Does Ryan have any regrets about not playing in the Ashes? Yeah, I was in the in the squads uh, two or three times. Uh, you don't want to sort of say, have you any regrets? And I haven't. But you know what? I would have loved to play in the National Series or just one Ashes game just to say I played in the National Series. You know, I suppose in the way, yeah, the pinnacle is playing, representing your country, but also, you know, to say you played in the National Series would be uh, amazing. Yes, a strange and cruel twist of fate that Ryan never did get to play against the Aussies, considering his performances in an England jersey. As for his dad, Arnie was close to making his test debut in the second match of the 1985 series at Lords. Here's his captain, David Gower. In those days, we used to have um, an allocation of tickets, four per day, which were given out at the pre-test dinner the night before on the Wednesday night. And one would always say the usual thing, squad of 12, everyone's in contention, we'll let you know in the morning who's not playing. And Arnie came to me after dinner that Wednesday night and said, um, can I have a word? I said, yeah, of course I can. And he said, does it mean anything that I've only been given tickets for two days? In other words, you know, 12th man would be off back to his county for Saturday. And I had to look at him with a sort of sheepish grin saying, well, actually, yeah, it does. And you, know, you ask them in contention just in case anyone falls over overnight, of course. But at the, as it stands, you are going to be 12th man tomorrow. So I mean, it was that sort of convention whereby 
team management. So captain and selectors would say to someone, well, you know, everyone's in contention. You want them to experience sort of the build-up of being nervous just in case. And you don't want them to switch off just because you've told them on the Wednesday that they're not going to play on the Thursday. So it was, I mean, it was quite, it was one of those <laughs> admin errors that you think, oh, for fuck's sake, you know, why, you know, why can't it's just someone get a grip? So we've heard from his son and we've heard from his captain. It's high time to hear from the man himself. Arnie Sidebottom played cricket for Yorkshire and England and football for Manchester United, Huddersfield and Halifax. He took 596 first-class wickets at 24.42, taking five wickets in an innings on 23 occasions and 10 in a match on three occasions. His best figures were 8 for 72 against Leicestershire in 1986. He played his one test for England in the third test of the 1985 Ashes series. Arnie, welcome to Once Upon a Time in the Ashes. Yeah, good morning, Graham. You have much in common with Ken Taylor, who played his one and only Ashes test in 1964. You both played cricket for Yorkshire and football for Huddersfield. Do you remember, Ken? I do, to be fair. Um, I mean, I met him at, at some of the matches at Yorkshire, but when I was at Yorkshire, his son came and he played in the first team for a few matches. Yeah, his son was there when I was there. Yeah, exactly. And that's the other link between you, isn't it? That both of your sons played county cricket. Obviously, Ryan went on to play cricket for England too. And you also have Dennis Law in common because I understand that you would have played with Dennis at Manchester United while Ken played with him when he was at Huddersfield. It, it probably was, yeah. I mean, um, I went in the same league as Dennis Law. I mean, you know, when I was at Man United, I was spoilt, really. I made my debut when it was like Best, Charlton, Law, Willie Morgan and Brian Kidd. That were the five forward line. I mean, you'd have to sell cities, wouldn't you, Graham, today to buy some of them when you see the prices of footballers. Unbelievable. And we'll get to Manchester United in a second, because as you say, the calibre of players at the club during that time was simply incredible. Uh, but first of all, I'm just keen to know about how you got into football and cricket as a youngster. You're obviously a very talented all-round sportsman. Well, yeah, I mean, my dad was a, a very good local sportsman and he got me playing both games, to be fair. But cricket was always my first love and um, that's what I wanted to do. But I just used to play football for a local youth club team in Barnsley, where I was from. And one Sunday morning, I was playing and a guy come to me and said, you know, I'm a scout for Manchester United. We'd like you to come for a trial. And I just laughed it off like, you know, thinking, what? you know, he's talking rubbish like. And he said, no, I'm a scout. And he said, can you come and play on the Saturday, next Saturday for the B team? I said, well, I don't drive and my parents don't drive. He said, oh, just get on the bus over the moors and we'll pick you up at Piccadilly bus station. So I went and played in the B team. And then they rang me up on the Monday and said, oh, can you come and play in the A-team the following Saturday? So I went on the bus again over the moors, played in the A-team. And then they rang me up on the Monday and said, oh, next Saturday, can you come and play in the reserves at Old Trafford? And it was against Wolves. And there were 25,000 there. <laughs> so I, I played in the reserve team and then they rang me up on the Monday and said, oh, the first team's playing at Sheffield United on the Tuesday. Can you come over? We'd like to sign you and give you a contract. <laughs> So, you know, that's how lucky you can be sometimes. So it all happened ridiculously quickly. Yeah, it happened within three weeks, to be fair. And they gave me a three-year contract. And that was your debut against Sheffield United? 
No, uh, well, to be fair, I made my debut against Sheffield United in, I think it was 72-73 season at Old Trafford. There were 70,000 there, so as you can imagine, as a young boy, I was a bit nervous, <laughs> to say the least. I bet you were, yeah. And who was in the team that day? Was it the likes of Best and Charlton? Were, were they playing? Yeah, they were all they were all playing. Yeah, it was Bobby Charlton's last match at Old Trafford, so you can imagine what the atmosphere was like. You know, I mean, these are all-time legends of not just Manchester United but world football. Did you have to pinch yourself that you were playing alongside them? Oh yeah, I mean, when you went in the dressing room and you saw all these famous internationals. They were just magnificent players. I mean, I want in that league, but I mean, I always talk to people and I've got to be honest, Graham, I don't follow football now because there's no tackling and the diving and the cheating don't do anything for me. But all I'd say is I play with the greatest player I've ever seen and that was George Best. The players today couldn't tie his bootlaces. And was it evident even on the training ground that he was by far and away the best player at Manchester United? Oh, yeah. He was just a genius. He just had it. He was just gifted, you know. He didn't really have to train. He was one of those that just just had it, you know. But that period when you joined Manchester United was when those legends were winding down their careers, really. As you said, it was Bobby Charlton's last game at Old Trafford. And what about George Best? Because he was, during that period, he was retiring and then coming back. Did he seem troubled to you at all? Um, Not really. I mean... He was just a brilliant man. You can't explain to people because all people remember him is at the end. He was just such a gentleman. He was brilliant with all the young players, you know. And he used to have a shop, a hairdressing shop, and a clothes shop in Manchester. And he had the wine bar, and then he had the discotheque. And he just used to say to all the young lads, "Look, if you want anything, it's all free. Just go." You know, he was absolutely brilliant. So he had those few seasons at Manchester United, but I guess you were never really. A fixture in the side, would that be fair? Yeah, no. I made 20 odd appearances, I think, and, you know, I, I was there four or five years and I, I loved it really, but like I say, cricket was all my first love and I was fortunate that when Man United were out of everything, they'd let me go play cricket for Yorkshire and there was like 14 weeks in between the seasons. I could go and play cricket for three months before I went back to pre season training for the football. Yes, it was a lot more accommodating in those days, wasn't it? There were a number of players who, who would play cricket and football like yourself. OK, let's turn to the cricket. So you were scouted for Manchester United. How did the opportunity with Yorkshire cricket arise? Well, I'd always I'd come through the system, to be fair. I'd played for Yorkshire schools from under-11s to under-15s. used to go to the Yorkshire Nets on a night from Barnsley. We used to train at Sheffield then. So the Yorkshire coaches, Arthur Mitchell and uh, Duncan Fernley, they were the coaches. And were they the coaches that helped your bowling in those early years? No, no. When I started, Graham, I was an opening batsman, believe it or not. I went to Yorkshire as an opening, as an opening batsman. I didn't bowl. I made my way through. I played for like Yorkshire schools and England schools and MCC schools as an opening batsman. And then when I went to Yorkshire... Um, I just bowl little gibbly dobblers in the nets to, to boys basically, and it, it, it just went from there. I started bowling because Yorkshire was struggling at that time for bowlers, and I started bowling more, and, and my batting became less and less. What was it like bowling to boycott in the nets? Oh, it, it, that was a test match. 
that was a test match, you know. You wanted to get bikes out. If he nicked one, you were running around the net, jumping up and down, cheering like, you know, and he hated it. He, he didn't like getting out at all, even in nets. Well, there you go. That's the single-mindedness you need to become a great player, isn't it? He was your first captain at Yorkshire, wasn't he? How, how did you find him? Uh, it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. You know, I, I think a lot of the batsmen would probably say a bit different, but with the bowlers, I mean, he was brilliant with me, absolutely brilliant. When I, I went to Huddersfield to the football, and it, I wasn't really enjoying it then, he said to me, look, why don't you come to play cricket full-time? And Huddersfield had said, look, we'll give you another contract, but you've got to pack in the cricket. And then Boyks came and said to me, look, Arnie, we want to give you a five-year deal. So it was no problems then. So Boycott was the one who really persuaded you to make a go of it for Yorkshire? Yeah, he was the one who said, look, pack in the football, we'll give you a five-year contract at Yorkshire. But he said, if you want to carry on the football, he said, I've got a friend who will take you on for a, a year. I thought, oh, God, this, don't, this sounds ominous. And it was Brian Clough. <laughs> and um, I went to Forest to sign. And I made a big mistake, Graham. I went on my own, which was stupid. I should have took my dad or somebody with me. And I sat in the reception and the secretary said to me, oh, Mr. Clough will be here in a minute. Then she come, Mr. Clough, uh, we'll see you now. So I went and sat in, and he was sat in this big chair, and behind him would Taylor, you know, the assistant, who were about six foot eight. He was massive, and I was petrified. He didn't say a word. He said, oh, I'm Brian Clough, and this is Graham Taylor. We're the best two managers in country, you know, straight away. He says, oh, we spoke to Boyce. We're gonna, we'd like to give you a contract. And he threw the contract across the table to me and said, sign it. Didn't say how much I was getting or the length of contract or anything. He just said, sign it. And I was that aghast. I didn't know. And he said, look, if you don't sign it, bugger off. (laughs) (laughs) So so I did. And um, then I signed for Huddersfield. And then I was there at Huddersfield just two seasons. And it was obvious that going nowhere. And like I said, Boyks had already said to me, they'd give me a five-year deal when I packed in the football. So um, just got on with that then. So that's brilliant. Not only was Boycott helping you with your bowling and helping you with your cricket as the captain of Yorkshire, he was also trying to arrange other parts of your life, like your football career. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, he did. He was, he was, he was brilliant with me. I can't say anything else against him. And he was a great player. Yeah, that's superb. And I was looking in his autobiography, and this is what he said about you. There are few more committed competitors in professional cricket than Arnie Sidebottom. Tall and lean, but with a lot of guts and dedication. He won an England cap in 1985, and nobody is entitled to be more proud of it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, some terrific words there from Geoffrey Boycott. Now, if we could just have a look at the early part of your Yorkshire career. You mentioned your batting before, and your one and only first-class century came in 1977 against Glamorgan. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. um, It was... I forgot the, the bowler. It was his last game. He got millions of wickets for Glamorgan. and it was the last game. So there was a massive crowd there and we were really struggling. And I came into bat with Arthur Robinson who didn't know which end of the bat to hold. And we put on, I don't know, 150, 160 for the last wicket. Yeah, that was a great day. Yeah, fantastic day. And then if we move into the 80s, you won the John Player League, didn't you, in 1983. Was that a special moment to win some silverware with Yorkshire? Well, it was really, because, as, as you know, you had to be born in Yorkshire to play for Yorkshire, which was, well, that's the way it was in them days, to be fair. 
and um, so to win with a, an all Yorkshire side were fantastic in that respect. I was reading about the way you clinched the title and it sounded like a bit of an anti-climax because the game at Essex was rained off, wasn't it? But that gave you the points you needed to win the title. That's right, yeah. Because some, I think we were joint with Somerset and it was, are we playing, are we not playing? And then when it was abandoned and we found out that we'd won it, as you can imagine, there was a party atmosphere. And just looking at your figures during the 80s, you took a lot of wickets, didn't you? You took 46 wickets at 18 in 1981. With that kind of form, were you starting to think of an England call-up? Was that on the cards? Um, I didn't, to be fair, because I was 30-odd then. I always thought if I hadn't played football for those six, seven, eight years, I would have probably played a few more test matches. You, you just never know. I was not to be picked the year before I was picked against Australia because I was bowling really well. I got loads and loads of wickets because I thought I must have a chance and I didn't. And then the year I got picked, I wasn't bowling that well. I was 30, I don't know, I was 30 some year old. And the injuries, as you can imagine, once you get older, were starting just to where before when I was a young player, it was two weeks, then it was, then it was going on for four or five weeks. So when I was selected, I wasn't really bowling that brilliant. I was amazed that I was picked. I've got to be brutally honest. But picked you did, and we'll come back to that 1985 Ashes series in a moment. Just before we do, I wanted to ask you about the 1982 Rebel Tour to South Africa. As I said before, you were in great form in 1981. Is that what got you the call-up for the tour, do you think? Not, not really. I was already out in South Africa playing for the Orange Free State. I'd been there two or three years in the winter, and I was already out there when Boyks rang me up in Mangooch, rang me up and said, look, can you come and play in the one-day matches for us? And I owned an ad a bit and said, oh, please come and play. We're, uh, it was quite decent money. <laughs> so they said. <laughs> so I went and played in the one-day internationals there and um, fully enjoyed it, to be fair, but it was a difficult time when I came back. And what do you think about that tour? Looking back, do you regret going at all? Would it have made a difference if someone other than Boycott had made the approach to you? Yeah, well, like I said, I was already out there. They offered me really good money to play in these one-day internationals. But when we got back home, as you can imagine, the tax man was chasing everybody and, you know, it was it was a nightmare. So a bit of a regret, but like I said, I thoroughly enjoyed the tour and all the players, they were absolutely brilliant. And a lot of them, like, we're, we're at the end of his careers, you know, so, um, you know, you can't blame them. I think the players understood that there would be these bands in place from Test Cricket for those that went. What was your thinking behind that? Did you... Did you not expect to play Test cricket in the years after that tour? Well, it was a calculated risk, really. And you so thought, I haven't been selected before when I was, I've been bowling really, really well. So I, I must have a chance. And then, then you think, well, you know, I'm out of the scene like, and I'm in South Africa, I might as well go and play. And I don't think they expected to get banned for so long. But you have to accept that and uh, move on. But that tour certainly seemed to give you a kickstart into the following season, 1982, as you took 62 county championship wickets that year at 24. So most years you were taking a bucket load of wickets, weren't you? 
Yeah, I did for most seasons, and like I said, Graham, you know, when England picked me, I, I wasn't bowling well. I was just starting to go downhill, if you know what I mean, because I had like 10 years where I'd never had a day off, basically, playing football and cricket, and the injuries were just starting to take the toll then. OK, let's have a look at that 1985 Ashes season in a bit more detail. I noticed you played for the MCC against the Australians at Lords in May, taking two for 73. Kepler Vessels was one of your wickets that day. What do you remember of that match? And did you feel at that point you were on the cusp of breaking into the test side? Not really, to be fair. I mean, I don't remember much about the game except the lads before the game, like, it's totally different now. I said, come on, but let's go out and have a few drinks and stuff like that. And I want a, I want a massive drinker. But uh, went out a few and felt a bit, <laughs> then having to bowl the next day, you know, but uh, I don't remember too much about it. Now, you played in the third test of the Ashes series, but you were 12th man for the second test at Lords. Were you expecting to play in that game? I mean, I thought I had a chance of playing, to be fair, and then, but they announced the team the night before, and um, Gower was the captain, and he said that he named the team, so I knew I knew I wasn't playing Mike, so uh, that was fine. And when you realised you were going to play in the third test, was that a proud moment for you? Well, it, it was in a way, but like I say, I, I had a bit of reservations, because I wasn't bowling brilliantly, and the injuries were starting to take its toll, like we said before, and... Now, that third test was at Trent Bridge, and there were a hell of a lot of runs scored in that game. Was Trent Bridge a happy hunting ground for you? Were you happy to be playing there? No. There there were just roads in them days. You know, they were just so flat. Uh, The ball didn't do a thing. There was no pace in the pitch. It was a complete utter waste of five days. I wouldn't have wanted to come and watch it, paying to a supporter, to be fair. David Gower won the toss and elected to bat, and England proceeded to pile on the runs, didn't they? Gower himself scoring 166. So you weren't on the field during that first day. What was it like to be in the England dressing room, surrounded by the likes of Botham and Gower and all the rest? Was that quite surreal? Oh, it was fantastic because I, I knew a lot of them fairly well. I knew both really well, you know, so it was, it was great. And when it was finally time for Australia to bat, you got your hand on the ball and you shared that new ball with both of them, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So that was brilliant, really. But like I say, the ball didn't do a thing. And unfortunately, I think it was, An- they call him Ansu Ildic, the opening batsman, nicked one off me. The first couple of overs, Alan Lamb dropped it. I think that that was about the only thing that went past the bat. <laughs> but you did manage to take one wicket, that of Bob Holland. Yeah, I snatched the night watchman, LBW. <laughs> yeah. Was that a big celebration when you took that wicket, or was it a bit muted because of all the runs scored in the match? Yeah, it was it a very muted celebration with Bob Holland. He, he was probably the only Australian that couldn't bat. <laughs> And then your involvement in the match was curtailed because of injury. What happened there? Yeah, I, I broke my toe, to be fair. Again, just wear and tear. I, I used to have holes in my boots at the front, so my toe would stick through with all the wear and tear from football and bowling and bowling. I'd stubbed it into the ground like and broke it. So that was the end. I mean, I carried on, I carried on uh, for a while. I think about, I don't know if I bowled 17 or 18 overs, you know, but yeah, that was the end. The game then fizzled out into a draw. Do you remember the end of the game at all? Did you hang around for a beer with the Aussies? Uh, no, I think I just, uh, I, I just wanted to get home at that stage. 
What were your feelings at the end of the match? Were you disappointed that things hadn't really gone your way, that you weren't playing on a better track for bowling? Not really disappointed. Like, like I said at the beginning, I, I shouldn't have been selected. I won't bowl in that well. I'd had a load of injuries, so I won't that disappointed. And, you know, I didn't expect to play again. I was virtually past it. <laughs> then there was a tour to the West Indies that winter, which you weren't selected for. What did you do during the winters? Obviously, you had your time in South Africa. Did you ever play any cricket over in Australia? Yeah, I went and played uh, in Australia, in Melbourne, for uh, a club there called Sunshine, which was brilliant. So I thoroughly enjoyed that as well. That was hard cricket as well. You know, even league cricket in Australia, they don't like the English, or they didn't. So that was uh, exciting stuff. So you said you were hampered with injury from that third test and throughout the rest of that 1985 series. But in the years following, you still took a lot of wickets, didn't you? 86, you took 25, but then in 87, 42 at 28 and 63 at 20 in 1988. Were you becoming a better bowler as time went on? Well, yeah, I was more experienced bowler, you know, and I knew when to bowl within myself and not go full pedal, you know, 100 miles an hour all the time. So experience then, you, you get through days where you think, oh, the wicket's not suitable today, I'll bowl within myself. It was just difficult times at Yorkshire. We, we were struggling for bowlers and I bowled far too much, really. I used to bowl 25, 30 overs a day, which were ridiculous in a way. I mentioned in the intro that your best bowling figures were 8 for 72 against Leicestershire in 1986. Was that a particularly memorable game for you? It was at Middlesbrough, so, you know, one of the outgrounds at Yorkshire. So there was always massive crowds at the outgrounds, Middlesbrough, Hull, Sheffield. All the crowd are on top of you there. You can talk to the crowd and pinch a drink and pinch a sandwich, you know. So, um, yeah, it was good to get it there at one of the outgrounds. Now, Yorkshire never won the county championship during your time at the club. I think you were runners-up in 1975. Why was that, do you think? There were so many brilliant overseas players during that period. Did Yorkshire needlessly hamper themselves by insisting that players had to be born in Yorkshire? Well, you know, all the players at Yorkshire, their hands were tied behind the back because you went to the other counties and they hadn't just got one, they'd got two and three. You went to um, Gloucester and they'd might talk to Sadiq Mohammed and Zaria Abbas. You, you went to Somerset and got Viv Richards and Joel Garner. You know, went to Sussex and they got Garth Leroux and Imran Khan. <laughs> you know, so all the counties had two or three, not just one. So as hands were tied, really, the players, but the committee made that judgment. So we just got on with it. Did it make it more satisfying when you did win matches, when you knew it was an all Yorkshire side? Not really. You know, it, it was just harder for us, really. But we were always up for the fight. We had a great set of lads. We were all Yorkshire lads together. And, you know, we had a, a lot of rough days, but we smiled about it and got on with it. And that's that's all you could do, really. To bowl, Graham, against some of these legends of the game, you know, Clive Lloyd and Farouk, engineer at Lancashire, you can go on and on. Absolutely legends of the game. I mean, you went to Hampshire and Gordon Greenwich and Barry Richards opened the batting, you know, and then Malcolm Marshall come on to bowl <laughs> later, later, you know. It's just unbelievable, really, but, you know, great challenge. And what about 87, the the 1987 Benson and Hedges Cup final against North Ants? That was a terrific game, wasn't it? 
That was an unbelievable game. Two, I think it was 244 each. And all I remember is that we looked like winning. Kevin Sharp got out, two or three balls to go, and I had to come into bat. So, <laughs> so I was a bit nervous-like. And um, so we, we were one behind, two balls to go. And Winston Davis, God rest his soul, a lovely man, overseas bowler for North Amps. And close guys and took a big slog and it whistled off the bat to the only man on the boundary. It went straight to him. So we were scores were level. So Jim Love had to block the last ball to tie because we'd lost um, less wickets. Winston Davis bowled him an absolute jaff in York and he just managed to dig it out. And it was 244 each. So we won on less wickets. Incredible, incredible match, really. Was there a big party in London after winning that final? Well, you, usually we, if you play, you probably stay the night and party like but We were playing the next day at Scarborough in the Sunday League, so we had to get on the bus and drive all the way to Scarborough. As you can imagine, the, the bus was a wash <laughs> with beer and, and, and everything. Do you miss those days of bombing around the country, playing championship cricket and Sunday League cricket? Oh, naturally, yeah. I used to love it, you know. Um, I mean, I played with great characters, you know, David Bairstow, God rest his soul, Phil Carrick, Graham Stevenson, who were a fantastic player, were the funniest man I've ever met in cricket, you know. Just great players, Kevin Sharp, Bill Athey, Paul Jarvis, absolutely top lads. Yeah, absolutely, some legends of the game that you've mentioned there. You mentioned Phil Carrick, and he was your captain for that 87 final we were just speaking about. That must have been a terrible shock when he when he passed away in 2000. Yeah, well, my three biggest mates were Phil Carrick, David Bairstow and Graham Stevenson, you know, and Boykes, really. And the three of them have passed away, you know, 40s, basically. You know, well, they were just great lads and, and top players. That was the thing. Yeah, you look back at the scorecards of those games and inevitably it's Phil who's constantly in the wickets. Didn't get the recognition he deserved, Phil Carrick. You know, a thousand wickets and 10,000 runs. Top player and a lovely bloke as well. You mentioned David Bairstow as well and obviously he died in tragic circumstances. A few words on him. What are your memories of David? Oh, typical Yorkshire, you know. Hard as nails, just gave his all every day. Again, another one, didn't really get the recognition he deserved for how good he was. I know he played for England quite a bit, but top player. And I'm, I'm really pleased his son's doing ever so well. And of course, what you share with David is that both your sons went on to become brilliant cricketers for England. What do you put that down to? <laughs> I don't know. Graham just, uh, they used to come to the cricket, both of them, uh, and just mess about in the nets and stuff like that. And I suppose they caught the bug. What was your proudest moment with regards to Ryan's career? Difficult, really, because, like I said, I'm not a watcher. And believe it or not, Graham, I only saw him play live three times in his career, 20 years he played. And the, the first time I went to see him play, he was touring New Zealand. He paid for me and his mum to come, and I didn't want to go, to be fair. And the first day, um, he got an hat-trick in the, in the test match. At, yeah, and you were there when he did that? Yeah, I saw the, te- I saw the hat-trick, yeah. That was the, the first time I saw him live. So that's, um, that was something special in a way. How involved were you with his early cricketing education? Was it you who got him playing in the backyard and so on? No, no, not at all, really. Um, I used to play for the um, local village team called Olmfirth in Huddersfield, where we lived. And he played in the under-9s, under-11s. Then he went to the trials. I never 
did anything. And then when he was 15, he went to the Yorkshire School's trials. A guy who was the coach said to, he got two for four or something. I, didn't, I never went. His mum took him everywhere. And he said, oh, find something else to do, son. You'll never, you'll never play professional cricket. <laughs> so he came home absolutely in floods of tears and said, oh, I, I don't want to play again. And I said, well, that's fine. Just have a think what you're going to do when you leave school. So he came back a couple of days and said, I want to play cricket. What do I do? And I said, well, Ron, you've got to get fit. And they did every day, built a little gym in the garage. He ran in the fields with his dogs and he got himself fit. And he did it all himself, to be fair. And all credit to him. And just to bring this back to the end of your cricketing career, was it a difficult decision to retire from the game? It wasn't difficult, to, to be fair, Graham, because I, I was finished, you know, the injury that took its toll, I, I was just ambling up to the wicket, really. I played, probably played a, a year longer than I should have done. I mean, I was 37, 38 when I finished, and I, I, I played too long. Did you have a plan for life after cricket? No, nothing at all, really. Just really difficult, because uh, you never thought you were going to retire. And I, I didn't work for a couple of years. And then I got into the coaching and a guy from the cricket school at Headingley, Ralph Middlebrook, got me back into coaching cricket. And, uh, and I've just done that since. And one final question. Again, looking back at your career, you played that one test for England. It was an Ashes test match. What did it mean to you to play in the Ashes? Well, it was fantastic, really. To, you know, to get a cap for England was brilliant. I suppose they can never take it away from you. You know, like I said before, I, I would hopefully have got a few more caps if I want to play professional football but I'll never change anything I thoroughly enjoyed my career and I was really lucky really because like I said I'm from Barnes we'd probably go and have to work down the coal mines if I want to play sports so uh, just been really lucky brilliant times absolutely brilliant times and it's been brilliant times listening to Arnie's story today many thanks to him for taking us through his superb football and cricket career Bobby Charlton, George Best, Jeffrey Boycott and all the rest. We'll leave the last word to Ryan, who remembers his dad flying out to New Zealand to see him take that hat-trick in 2008. Stephen Fleming, Matthew Sinclair and Jacob Oram were his victims that day in Hamilton. And although Stuart Broad and Moeen Ali have taken hat-tricks in a test match since then, theirs came in England, making Ryan the last man to take one overseas. I think he does watch sometimes because my mum does say that he swears at the telly a lot when I'm bowling. Um, so, but yeah, it, it was yeah a very special moment. He, yeah, he's never been one for watching. So, you know, to have all the family out in New Zealand and, and achieve something, you know, special like that, obviously it meant the world to myself and a very proud moment for, for me and my family. Plenty more memories of this 1985 series to come in the next few episodes as we continue to track down the one ashes test wonders until then i've been graham barrett and this has been once upon a time in the ashes